ahead and turn to 1 John chapter 2, right at the end of 1 John chapter 2. We're going to finish up the chapter and get started into chapter 3 today. Um, happy Mother's Day, by the way. Thank you. You're welcome. I especially meant that for you. Um, so, there are times that um, Tiff calls Ellie my spawn. I'm sure she means that in only the most positive, loving, and tender way. But for some reason, it's whenever Ellie's being particularly aggravating, or in my, what I would perceive as particularly hilarious. Um, she says, she is your spawn. She is every bit you and no bit me. That's usually about how that goes. Um, but like I said, I'm sure she means that in the, the most endearing way. If you want, just for fun, ask her to do her impression of me at some point, of my laugh. I, not, not Tiff. Tiff probably couldn't do it. But ask Ellie to do her impression of my laugh. It's pretty hilarious. It's unfortunately spot on. Um, so, th- like, there's a reason that we came up, that we have all these phrases like chip off the old block and the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? And that's because, um, and this might be a positive statement or a negative statement for you, I don't know which one, uh, but we are like our parents. Either we, we look like them or we talk like them, we behave like them. Uh, somebody going the wrong way on the one-way street? That's going to end fun. Anyway. But we're like our parents. Like, like genetics is a thing. Right? Like you can usually say, oh, that's your mom, or that's your kid. You know, right? Like we, we are connected. And, and sometimes even in the way we talk, like the things that we say, the way that we say them... Is, is a little bit reflective of maybe the region that we grew up in, but it's also, and probably more prominently, reflective of the people that we grew up around, the people that raised us, the people that, that shaped us and that molded us. And, and, and for some people, this is kind of a scary thing to think about. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, if we're parents, because that means that we are basically duplicating ourselves into the lives of another whole human being, and that can be a scary thought, a lot of pressure, like, oh man, I hope they don't get all of my worst traits. Hopefully they get all the good ones, right? And for some, it's scary to think about that as we grow up, we're going to look and act more like our parents. I've already got the Clement's chin coming in. I I saw a picture of, I I occasionally will see pictures of myself, and I'm like, oh, yep, yep, I'm a part of that family. That's what I'm going to look like. But hey, you still have your hair, so I know I'm still going to have that. Thanks. Thanks for that. But, but like that, that, so I don't know what you're thinking as you're hearing me talk about this, this whole we're like our parents. We're like, we're like the people that we came from. Maybe you see that and you're like, awesome, can't wait. Maybe you see it and you're like, oh, I don't know how I feel about that. You know, like that could be a negative thing. You might be thinking, man, look at all of these, these things that are true of my life. And I've, I've ended up like my parents and that's a bad thing. Or I've ended up like my parents and that's an amazing thing. You could be on either side of the boat. Um, John is going to kind of pick up that idea and carry it forward in a way that I think by the end, no matter what your relationship is like with your family, no matter if that's a, if that's a cool idea that you're going to end up acting like, behaving like your parents, or if that's, a, if that's a good thing or a bad thing for you, I think by the end of today, we're going to have a really hopeful outlook on what it can look like to be like your father. So let's start in 1 John chapter 2. I'm going to pick up in verse 28. 
And he says, and now children. And, and he says that just because he's kind of summarizing all of what he's kind of led up to at this point. Like, this has kind of been an extended introduction into the book at this point. He's going to kind of start diving deeper into some of the thoughts that he's made. So this section that he's getting into now is just he's kind of wrapping up all of his thoughts, kind of summarizing, kind of bringing everything together, tying it in. And so, so that's why he's starting, and now little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We'll stop right there for now. So so here's the hope that John is giving to the church. That we have been adopted as children of God. That's a big idea. It's not just that he said, I'm going to do this nice thing for you, but I don't want to have anything to do with you. It's that, it's that when he saves us, it's not just that he saves us from our sin. It's not just that he gives us a hope in, in eternal life, but that we're actually adopted into his family. We're given, we're given all of the rights of being a child of God. We are going to receive an inheritance as one of God's children. And that is an amazing, amazing thought. Because, because it's not, it's not, it doesn't have to remain now that we're afraid we're going to grow up like our parents. What, what, what John is reminding us is that we have a new family. We have a new father. And we've been adopted into that family because of what Jesus has done. This is the big culmination of this long introduction that John's been giving, where he's been talking about, you know, you know if, if you're saved, you'll, you'll do these things. Or if you're saved, you won't sin in this way. Or, or if you're saved, you're going to love each other really well. He's been giving us all of these things. And, and, what, and what he's now saying is, you're going to be like your parents. If you're saved, God has now adopted you as his child. So if you're saved, you're going to look like your father. If you're saved, you will look like your father. And this is great news. This is good stuff because, because especially if, and like I said, if, we have, if, if maybe you think, I'm going to grow up and be like my parents. Maybe if that's not the most positive thing, he's saying, you have a new hope. You have a new thing to be driven by. Is that, oh, I, get to, I don't have to grow up to be like whatever came before me. I get to grow up to be like what, what Jesus is. What, what Jesus is when he, when he modeled, you know, perfect servant leadership and sacrificing for us. And, and the, way that he, the way that he loved us. Like, we get to be that. Because we're a child of God just as Jesus is his son. So your hope is no longer found in your relationship with your earthly parents, but with your new father in God. So I want to, and, and in saying that, I want to make a point. Just, just to make sure, I'm not trying to say um, that, that your earthly relationship with your parents doesn't matter. Uh, I mean, yes, there are verses that talk about leave your father and mother, you know, like... Like, the church is your new family and all of that. I'm not saying, you know, you should be like, I don't like you guys anymore. I'm done with you. And just completely, you know, ignore them. Like, like it, it's not that it means nothing. It's just no longer what you're ultimately identifying yourself as. 
You're no longer identifying yourself as, I am Tanner, son of Dale. Like, that's no longer who I am. I am now Tanner, son of God, by virtue of what Jesus has done to save me and adopt me. Right? So it's not that it means nothing. Those relationships still matter. And, and I mean, even more so if your, your family are not saved. It really matters because now that you have this new understanding of what this new life is, this new hope, this new, this new father, this new savior, you want, you want to show that to your family just as much as you can because you want them to know that same truth and know that same hope. He uses the phrase in verse 3, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And I love that phrase because, because the idea of, of hope, when you talk about you're going to become something, like, like if, you, if you look at, maybe this is true of you, maybe you look back and you say, well, this has been true of every generation in my family, or I've seen this sin be present in my family for years, or, or whatever, maybe, or just the presence of sin in our culture, in our society. And it's like so easy to fall into all of these different temptations that we're faced with day in and day out. We, we could fall into so many different things, and it can be demoralizing, it can be hard, it can be like, I don't know how I'm going to do that, but, but the phrase that he used, the one who hopes in him, right? Like, we are hopeful because we are in Christ. We are hopeful that we can meet this difficult standard that he's been laying out, right? You've probably been thinking, and we're going to keep talking about this, you probably keep thinking as, as Caleb and I have been going through this book, that when it gets to... If you're saved, you don't do these things. You don't sin. Or if you're saved, you follow the commands of God. Just, you follow them. You do the things that God asks you to do. And you're thinking, that sounds really hard. Yes, it is really hard. But we have hope in that because we are hopeful in him. Our hope is in him, not in ourselves anymore. Our hope is not in trying to, trying to manufacture this righteousness on our own. Our hope is in what he has accomplished, and what he, he makes us able to do. Last week we talked a little bit about, about how, according, in John's view, we were kind of already living in this end time period. Like, like there's already bad things, there's already sin, there's already voices speaking out trying to, trying to tear down Christ and tear, down apart, tear apart the message of the church and how we're facing all of these things. But he reminds us in this, in this section that, that he is going to come back. And like, yes, we are saved, and yes, we have this hope that we can be perfectly righteous, but we're not, we're not fully there yet, right? We're not, it's not fully realized, but he's going to come back, and when we see him, it's going to be possible. We're going we're gonna to be able to be righteous because we're going to see what righteousness actually looks like. Like he's reminding us of this hope that Jesus is coming, and that that should motivate us now to kind of propel us forward, kind of propel us toward fighting to be righteous, fighting to be more like Jesus. I loved this quote um, from Danny Aiken, who's, who wrote one of the commentaries that I'm reading as I'm studying for this. He said, the future enables me to pursue holiness in the present. I love that. He's like, the future hope that we have, the future that we know that Jesus is going to come back and we're going to be perfect. We're going to be renewed. Sin's going to be gone. The fact that we know that gives us all the hope that we need now to fight for that as best we can now, to try to be holy, because we know it's possible, because we know that he's going to make us that eventually. But it motivates us in the present 
It motivates us to pursue holiness even now. And so as we've been talking through all of these different things, all of these different ways that, um, all these different standards that John is laying out for what it looks like to be saved, that you're not going to be caught living, living in these sins that, that can dominate our lives, or you're going to be pursuing the commands of God, following the things that he calls us to do. And you're going to be, you're going to be not doing the things you're not supposed to be doing and doing the things that you're supposed to be doing. And all the while, you're going to be really good at loving people which we talked a little bit about last week and how difficult that can be, right? But, but we have this hope that is in Christ that, that it will be perfected in us and so now we pursue that with everything that we have because of the hope that we have as one of his adopted sons or daughters. Let's go ahead and keep reading. 1 John chapter 3, picking up in verse 4. He says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices unrighteousness, whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So we'll start there. And so now he's, gonna, he's reminding us, he's laying out again why Jesus even came. Right, Because he's, he's reminding us that one day you're going to get to be perfect, but you're sitting here thinking, yeah, but things aren't perfect now. And he's saying, yeah, but things were really not perfect before Jesus. And he came for two reasons. I'll give you those two reasons. Jesus came so that he could destroy sin and so that he could defeat the devil. Those are the two points that he gives us right there. So, so when it seems like it's really hard to meet the standards, even impossible, I would remind you that it is. It is impossible. Prior to Christ's coming and sacrificing himself, living a perfect life and dying on our behalf, it was impossible for us to meet that standard. There was no way. We could not earn it. We could not work our way into it. But now, because Jesus' whole purpose for coming was to defeat sin and defeat the works of the devil, our enemy, right? He says, because he came for that, this is now available to you. It is now possible for you to not be trapped in your sin. It's now possible for you to love people in the right way. It is now possible for you to understand how to follow and obey the commands of God. You can't just manufacture that on your own when you're trapped in sin. And so he reminds us again that those who are saved will not to continue to sin. And I want to just point out again that what he says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. I'm not saying that if you are saved, you will stop sinning entirely for the rest of your life. I'm not saying that. That's why he reminded us that we'll understand what righteousness is when Jesus comes back. Like there's still a future hope that we're going to be completely perfected. So, so I'm not trying to say, if you sin, that means you're out. But what he's saying is, if you make a practice of sinning, if you are fully committed and fully invested in your sin, and you have no interest in trying to get out of it, you just want to continue to live in whatever that sin is that's dominating your life, 
He's saying you can't do that as a member of the body of Christ. You can't be a child of God and live that way. And so he's saying this for a couple of different reasons. Uh, it could just be to reassure believers who are like, okay, I've seen growth. I've seen, I've seen deliverance from that sin that used to dominate my life. And now it's reassuring to me, oh man, I am saved. And I think that's been one of his primary points up to this point in the book, is just to say to the church, look, you are saved. Look, look at what you're not doing anymore that you used to be trapped in. Look at the things that you used to be defined by that now you have a new hope and a new set of motivations. Look at those things that are now the things that are driving you. So it could just be to reassure some of their salvation where they might be doubting. Oh man, I did sin that one time. I did that thing yesterday. Or I said this thing in a, in a bad way or, or, I, or, I, or I lied or I whatever. Insert sin here. And he's trying to say, but, but you're not practicing lawlessness. You're not fully invested in, in just diving like head first into your sin. And that's because Jesus is delivering you from that. So it could be that he's trying to reassure or... And this is a big or, and this might be for you. I don't know who you are, but just kind of the, the royal you. Is that a thing? I don't know. It could be to shock some who may not believe, who think that they are saved. It could be to shock people who think that they're saved into realizing, oh man, he says I can't be saved if I'm practicing lawlessness in this way. And I look at my life. Maybe you need to examine your life right now. Examine your heart and discover where you are on this. Is John reassuring you right now? Or is John saying, no, look, you have this pattern of sin that is present in your life that is not reflective of a child of God. A child of God would not do that. A child of God would not behave in that way. Maybe you need to examine your life, examine your heart, and ask who you are. Is your hope actually in him? Is, is, your, is your hope and your trust and your faith and everything in Jesus? Or have you just been in the church enough that you know enough things and you try to be good, but you're trying to get by on your own righteousness and you're not being driven by what Christ has done for you and maybe you're not actually saved? Examine your heart and know who you are. And he makes the point that Jesus was uniquely able to make this way for us. Only Jesus could do this because Jesus himself lived without sin. I'm going to bring up just a couple of verses here. Uh, these are all pretty short. I was thinking about this. We haven't done like scripture memorization in a little while. But if you want some verses to memorize, these would be really good ones. And most, many of these you will have heard. So uh, I'm just going to kind of go through these real quick. Uh, Hebrews 4.15, I think, is up first. Yes, Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus went through everything, experienced all of the things that we need to experience. He was tempted in the same ways that we are tempted, except he was perfect. He did not sin. So he is uniquely qualified to combat sin. 1 Peter 2.22 He committed no sin, neither was there deceit found in his mouth. Last one, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is a really good chapter just because we also get our church name from this chapter. If you want to just go memorize this whole chapter, you're more than welcome to. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the big idea. 
He had no sin so that we could become like him. And that's and and and, and John's gonna go back to the parent thing in just a minute, but that's why that's why I started with this idea of you're gonna be like your parents. If you are a child of God, you will be righteous because God is righteous. He will make you righteous because you are his son or daughter. Jesus was the only one who was able to make that way possible because because Jesus himself was the only one who was without sin, who could live that life in that way. There it is. Let's go ahead and keep reading. We're going to finish up the section. 1 John chapter 3, picking up in verse 9. Picking right back up with the family idea. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. That's a big idea. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So right there he kind of ties it all back together, right? If you're... If you're Not doing righteous things, you're not a child of God. If you are doing the works of the devil, you're not a child of God. If you don't love your brother, you're not a child of God. But he's reminding us, it is possible to stop living in sin. It is possible to live a life like Christ because we have been born of God. If you have been born of God, it's going to look like you have been born of God. Uh, The kids have been learning a song about that in the kids' room. If you ask Ellie, I don't know if any of the other kids have picked up on all the motions. Ellie's big on motions. She likes the motions. But I don't know if you guys know this, but the fruit of the Spirit is not a coconut or a banana or a watermelon. I don't know if there are anything else. I know those three. Lemon. Banana's my favorite. Right? But, but the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. They've got hand motions. It's great. I don't, I don't do those. But, um, but like he's saying, if you are saved, you're going to look like you're saved. Those things are going to be evident in you. You're going to be... You're going to to be filled with love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of those things are going to be true of you because because the Spirit is present in you and those things are going to naturally come out of the Spirit, so they're going to come out of you as well. Look at what he said in verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Here's the big idea. We are now a new creation that has been given the ability to accomplish all this. That's the big idea. That's what what John has been building toward in this whole introduction is is that we have this new hope we are now able to do these things, to, to become like Jesus, to, to live a righteous life, to set aside the sins that dominate who we have, be, who we have been, to, to stop, I guess, following in our parents' footsteps 
and start following in a new father's footsteps. One, one who is perfect and one who is holy and one who is righteous. We are able to accomplish all this because, because if you are saved, what does he say? You have been born of God. Right? I think, I think of another conversation that John recorded uh, between Jesus and Nicodemus. Right? And they're talking and he's like, what must I do to be saved? He says, you have to be born again. And he's like... That seems really difficult. How can I like go back into my mom's womb and then be born again? I'm like taller than her now. And he's like, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you need to have a whole new life. You need a big reset. You need to be completely redefined. No longer are you a child only of your earthly parents, but now you have a new father. You are born of God. You have a new life. You have a new name if you will. You know, the whole point of having last names is so that you can identify the family that you come in, so that you know who you're grouped with. And, and that sometimes has, has positive things, like, oh, my last name is, insert, I can't think of any, like, last names that are, like, give people really good reputations right now off the top of my head. But say, oh, you're, you're, you're one of those. We, we like those people. Those are cool people. Or you're like, well, my last name is this. Oh, we're going to stay away. We, we know who your family is. But what he's saying is, you're no longer defined by those family names anymore. You have a new family name. Child of God. Son, daughter of God. We have to be born again into new life. New life means new possibilities, new hope, new, new ability to stop sinning and to start following Jesus. I feel like I'm saying these same things over and over again, but, but I want us as the church to, to be reassured that we have this new life, but also that we're able to communicate this when we're talking about, about who Jesus is or, or what our life is defined by. Because, because that contrast between who we were before Christ and who we are after Christ could not be farther apart. I don't care how, how good or bad you were when you were a kid. I don't care what, we, we were all as far away from God as we could possibly be. And because of what Jesus accomplishes and adopts us into his family, we have this whole new outlook on life. We have this whole new set of hopes. We have this whole new set of motivations. And I want us as the church to be able to be excited by that change in us and be able to communicate that to others. Or just become motivated when, when things get hard. Because we were talking about the standards, and he keeps coming back to these standards, you know, not living in sin, doing the things that God has commanded us to do, loving each other really, really well. Even if you feel like this is impossible, here's the encouraging part. You are destined to accomplish all of those things. You are destined to be like Christ because you have been adopted into his family. Right? Even if you're like, I don't think I'll ever get there. You will. If you are in Christ, you will because you have a new father and you become like your father. He will make you like him. He will. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Like, like you don't get saved and then you just stop being saved. If, if, if he saves you, you are his. You are his child. He's not going to let you go. You have been adopted into his family. You are his son or you are his daughter. And he will make you like him. You will be righteous. You will stop sinning. 
You will love people rightly. You will love people the way that Christ loves. Even if you think, I can't do that, you can't. But he will make that true of you because he says he will make that true of you. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. By this, it is evident that you who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. He's saying, if you are his child, he will make this a thing that happens for you. If you are not his child, i got to say it in the negative way too, if you are not his child, this cannot become true of you. It goes both ways. If you are his child, he will do this. If you have not been born again, like we said, if you are still in sin, you need that new hope. You need that new life. You need to be completely reborn into the family of God. If you're not sure where you are on that, he's giving us standards, right? Ask yourself, do you do what is right? Yes, no. Are you living in sin? Yes, no. Do you love others? Yes, no. If you're living in sin or if you're not practicing righteousness or if you don't love people well, And I'm not saying love people perfectly. Again, like I said, we don't have this perfected yet, but he's going to perfect it in us. But if that's not you, you need to be born again. You need new life. You need Jesus to be how you define yourself. You You need a new father. You might love your father. You might love your mom. You might love your family. That's cool, but they're not Jesus. And they can't empower you to become like Jesus. Only Jesus can do that because because he was the one who knew no sin so that we can become the righteousness of God, right? So that through what he accomplished, only through Jesus, that's the only way. And if you're trying to get by based on, I can do these things that are good. I can do these things that are righteous. I can stop doing these things that are bad all on my own. That's not salvation. That won't be perfected in you. You're actually doing that in your own, on your own, under your own power. You're doing it for selfish reasons, trying to say, look, I'm good enough. And that isn't righteousness. Doing righteousness for my own sake is just as sinful as not doing it at all. Because I'm making it about me. The only way we can practice righteousness, the only way we can escape from our sin is through Jesus. He was the only way, he was, on, the, oh, he was always the only way. There was never another option. So who are you? What do you define yourself by? What is true of your life? If you were going to be honest and come stand up here and say what things are true of your life, what things you are doing or what things you are not doing, what sins you are not committing, what sins you are living in. If you had to come up here and you had to be honest, what would you be saying? Would you be declaring that your hope and your trust are in Jesus and that your life is defined by him? Or would you be walking up here and saying, this isn't who I am? If that's you, praise God. If you are saved, praise God. Live like it. Act like it. 
talk like it. This is, this is really good news for people who are saved. This, is, this should be exciting. When we sing, when Nick comes up here, I don't remember what songs he's singing later. I looked at the set list, but I forgot it already. But, but uh, aren't we doing, what's the last one you're doing? He is risen? Or? It is finished, that one. Yeah, like that's, that's an exciting song. Like, like we're done with sin. It's finished. He's accomplished everything. That's exciting. When we sing those things, you should be able to sing that with a smile on your face and a little bit of joy in your spirit. Let's look like that. Let's act like we are saved. Let's, let's live and demonstrate what it looks like to be the children of God. But if that's not you, I want you to, I want you to, I want you to realize what the state is that you are living in, that you are trapped in your sin and there is no way out except for through Jesus. And that he's done all that it takes to save you. And all you have to do is be born again. Repent. Start over with Jesus. Let's pray.